Welcome to the Red Tree Pod, a project aimed at seeing how grace clarifies our otherwise confusing lives and attempts at reading the scriptures. I'm your host, Davis Johnson, and in just a few seconds, I'll be joined by my co-host, Chris Wachter, as every other week, we come to you to break down an Old Testament passage, a psalm, a portion of a New Testament letter, and my favorite part, the but what about section, where we look at a trickier part of scripture that seems to go against everything we talk about here on this podcast, but actually doesn't. We are glad to have you with us. Well, welcome to the very first episode. Well, episode one, we're calling it. We have an episode zero, but this is episode one of the Red Tree Pod. Uh, I'm your co-host, Davis Johnson, joined by Chris Wachter, lead pastor of Hiawatha Church. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great, Davis. Yeah, thanks. Excited for this, though. This is going to be great. Yeah, yeah. what's what's, uh, what's going so, on in, in your world? Well, uh, life's pretty good, I guess I'd say. Halloween's around the corner, so... Um, are you a Halloween guy? I do enjoy it, actually. Yeah, we. Um, that's the one party a year that we kind of throw, yeah. I feel like, in terms of the holiday stuff. I feel like we usually go elsewhere, mm-hmm. you know, but we've um, we've had a party for a number of years now with neighbors and friends. Yeah. And so, yeah, we just kind of enjoy it. But kids are getting older, so they're going elsewhere this year. It's kind of like sad for us, too. Okay. They're going off to different uh, other kids' neighborhoods or, you know, we have a 16-year-old daughter who's just going to be at home handing out candy. Huh. Um, but, yeah, but looking forward to that. Uh, I thought of a good costume idea. Actually, uh, I, g- I gave this idea to someone else today, but because um, he was saying I could dress up as Martin Luther, he has just the right hair for it, apparently. And I thought, or you could go as as the door, you know, to, uh, to the church, right? You could yes. be the door and just kind of care, just have a nail in because that's kind of Halloweeny anyway, <laughs> a nail <laughs> through your chest or something. But a nail with uh, the theses, I thought that would be pretty would be pretty be something pretty good yeah have we so. talked about halloween as a holiday and the gospel themes there i don't know that if we just have seems like a conversation you and i would have but probably we, i don't think we have probably probably not though yeah I, it i've just become especially in, yeah. in the last few years i've just become so much more pro halloween yeah and way more grinchy at christmas i still like christmas yeah. i vote yes on christmas yeah of right, course but, right right but the nature of gift giving at christmas totally. always feels so stale and so legalistic. I mean, Santa Claus himself is, is capital L legalism, right? Like you, you do good, you get rewarded. You yeah. don't do good, you get coal. Right, <laughs> right, right, like, right. And this is about Jesus. This is, this feels antiquated. This doesn't feel right. Uh, whereas Halloween, it's like everybody dresses up like serial killers and ghosts and all these ugly things. And what do you get? <laughs> and they still get candy. Candy, right? It's just, it's exactly. I just think right. that there's a lot there. I like that. And yeah. the, the more yeah. I think about that, I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pro Halloween. Let's, let's vote yes to Halloween. Someone sent me a, a, an Etsy, I think crafty kind of thing for a Christmas thing yesterday is kind of a joke. Um, but it was, I think a, a kid or an angel or something that we had a little talking bubble out of the head. And it said, uh, forget Santa. I want to be good for Jesus. <laughs> I thought, well, that still doesn't quite, still, I mean, it's this, well, you're, you're remembering, you're, you're, you're still remembering. Yeah. The, the whole, like, yeah, need to be good for blank, you know, um, is not quite the, but, uh, but I agree. I think Halloween kind of has that interesting, you know, showing our true colors, you know, uh, bearing our inner demons, but still somehow kind of enemy love stuff, you yeah. know, that is at the heart of the gospel, I think is, is there. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And the more history actually that comes out about that holiday, 
the less it is like Christmas, where it was kind of a pagan holiday that Christians were like, yay, you know, and, and Halloween was much more, the roots are actually pretty Christian. Christians were the ones who kind of were putting yeah. on some of these, these ideas where you aren't afraid of the dark anymore and you can even dress up like it because the next right. day is right. Saints Day. So. Right. Really cool stuff. Love there's, it. there's a lot there. Love it. So, but you're doing well. Excited for Halloween. I'm doing well. How about you? Yeah. Or anything in your life? That- yeah, we're uh, we're doing well. Got got our one year old. She's got a bunch of teeth coming in, so we're not sleeping as much as we had been. Uh, and uh, what else we got going on? We just started a, a law and gospel class here at Hope that uh, has it. been really fun to put together. A lot of it's based on our conversations and mm-hmm. even what we're trying to do with this podcast. Um, but I, I find it ironic. I find myself leaning more towards Martin Luther, one, the older I get, and two, I think I, I went to a school called Reformed Theological Seminary, right? So if you think of that, you think, oh, Martin Luther, he was the guy that started the Reformation. And I, I love that school. I learned a lot there. And yet I always found myself going, I want Martin Luther to get more stage time. This is a guy that right. he started it all. And he always felt like he was getting kind of right. put to the sides and the sidelines. And, and, and so, yeah, this class was, was birthed out of just like, man, I just, I think he's right on the money when he's got this two covenant story going on. And uh, in particular, we're looking at how does, the, how do these bear out in real life? Like how does Christianity actually work? in your lived life. There's of course a, a ton of doctrine behind that, but we've been taking more of that approach and it's been really fun. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Very exciting. Well, here we are. We're, we're uh, going to dive in here to uh, our real agenda for our episode today. We're going to look at uh, four passages. Uh, first in the old Testament kind of narrative, this can be Genesis one. Then we're going to turn over to Psalm one and two. And then uh, our kind of entire time here, at least in this, what we might call a semester or first year is going to be looking at First Thessalonians in the New Testament, taking it kind of section by section. And then something I'm really excited about for this podcast is the, but what about section where we dialogue about a difficult to understand part mm-hmm. of scripture that seems to go in the face of all things that Red Tree is interested in, which is yeah. clarifying the gospel and God's grace. So to begin with, uh, we have Genesis 1, the beginnings, an appropriate text to look at on our beginning episode of this podcast. Uh, but man, so many places that we can go, where would you take us? If you if you were just preaching on this text, what would maybe be a couple of threads you'd pull? Uh, yeah, the, I mean, that's a great question. Obviously a loaded chapter. So this, uh, you probably just said it, but this is not going to be exhaustive, right? <laughs> but it's, uh, that's kind of, kind of a good way to approach scripture though, I think is hmm. not to feel like you have to exhaust it, you know, to get all the meaning. I think that's, you know, in some circles that can be, I think this almost unspoken rule, you know, that there's, um, if we don't really just get everything behind every word, then we're missing something big. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, to kind of just check our anxiety at the door a little bit and remember that God wants to say something to us. He's not hiding, you know, he wants to speak and, um, and that the gospel is kind of that key. It's it's the way to pull up the veil. So, um, yeah. So I think like for me, as I look at Genesis one, some of the big things I always think about when I think about where is Jesus here, and where is grace is even just in the first four words is in the beginning God. It's not in the beginning you or in the beginning what you've done. You know, it's just we're not even there yet. It's mm-hmm. just in the beginning God. He so the, this this idea that he predates us and he predates our works. He predates anything that we've thought, you know, and then, so then his grace predates, you know, and I think there's a lot of consolation in that. Um, especially as we remember that we're created beings as well, physically, but also spiritually. And I think this chapter is supposed to kind of give shape to what the second creation is meant to be Mm -hmm. in the new Testament. So 
then the question kind of becomes, well, in what sense is there a in the beginning God to the gospel? And I was kind of already checking a few of those boxes, but that's just a great question, I think, to mull over, you know, as, as we study this, as, as any of us think about it, you know, in what sense is my life and in the beginning, the gospel, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, the grace of God predated everything, all my sins, all my failures and foibles and mistakes and insecurities and, and fears, uh, God was there and um, intending to love me, mm. you know, and... Um, and even some so, of the, the, I love that, the New Testament language surrounding that, you have John 1 beginning with a very in the beginning type language. It was the word and the word, in fact, was Jesus right. is where it takes us. He's operative. Yeah, that's He's good. the one moving towards us. He's the one recreating us. And then I think of, uh, is it Second Corinthians 4, where we have this in the beginning language um, where the gospel is actually being presented as the thing that is this light breaking in, this creative light is the light of Jesus himself causing faith within the nothingness of our dark souls, which is, right. I mean, there, there's a lot to get off the ground there in modern times of, yeah, it, it, your soul has darkness in it. That's a, that's a real thing. Um, and yet that's the, the ground on which we now are able to see. Yeah. And, and God's light broke in, in the beginning of that and created something that wasn't there before, namely faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's good. And he actually quotes uh, verse three, uh, mm. I think directly in second Corinthians four. So he's, that's the way he's doing theology there. He's saying, you know, in, in, in the way that God said, let there be light in the beginning, he's saying that a second time mm. now, and in a much greater way through Jesus, he's just saying, let there be salvation, let there not be darkness anymore. And it's very one way, right? It's very on him and on his watch that these things happen, uh, not not on ours, thank God. Yeah, wow, that's really good. And, and I know I'd love to hear you even just riff a little bit on the two great lights. I know that's, uh, for some people, that's not a central point of Genesis 1, but it's a very significant point. And I think the gospel often takes details and, and pulls them out and makes them a very big deal in light of the greater story. Right. And I think that's something I'd be excited to hear about. Yeah, I, I agree for sure. I, um, so yeah, skipping down to 14, verse 14 and following, there's just this idea that God creates two lights and one is greater and one is lesser, which is interesting descriptors, you might think, for um, a pre-fall, a pre-sin kind of era that God is creating hierarchy of some kind and it's not bad. It's actually, there's some, there's some beauty to that. And, um, I think I, I went to a, a seminary here locally and I think that that was, that was some of the sentiment I got sometimes from a few of the voices there, not everybody, but just that all hierarchy is bad and certainly it can be perverted and is, and it can be twisted and, and whatnot. But, um, but here you see God create two lights, the sun and the moon, the one is a source of light. The one is a reflector of light. And I think uh, to me, when I read that, I just see a beautiful and helpful uh, allegory to how the Bible itself hangs together, huh. that you have older parts and newer parts. You have parts that are sources of light and you have parts that reflect that light, mm -hmm. but they're not the same. And so then it becomes a question of which is which, right? Which is a, a maybe a larger question, but ultimately, and we just talked about this, the, the light is Christ, the light is the gospel, and other parts aren't sourcing that light as much as they're reflecting it, they're being an image of it, they're being a symbol of it. Yeah, that's really good. And it's probably a theme that's going to come up again and again as we look at different parts of Scripture. More we could say in Genesis 1, uh, but let's turn the page now to a psalm. 
Uh, and specifically, let's look at two Psalms. I want to look at Psalm one and two. This is something that uh, I've appreciated over the years, even just dialoguing with you, Chris, that the Psalter, the fancy word for the Psalms, actually have always historically begun with not just Psalm one, but Psalm one and two. They are a pair and they're meant to be read together. Uh, why is that? Why, why has that always been a thing? About why they're separated or why they're together. Why it seems like oh, they would be separated, different yeah, numbers, sure. but, uh, in, yeah. And in, in the history of the church, they, they have hung together and it seems like that might be intentional. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the, well, how Psalm three starts, which is maybe a different conversation. It just sounds different, you know, but I think that they, they share a lot of common language. So, um, if you look at verse one in chapter one, and then the end of chapter two, the idea of blessing comes up in both. Mm. So you have this idea that um, in in Psalm one, blessed are you when you walk not in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Basically, it's a blessed are you when you don't sin kind of idea. And then in verse three, uh, your delight, his delight, this this man, his delight is in the law of God. And he meditates on that law day and night. Whereas in Psalm two, blessing seems to come a different way. Hmm. It comes through all who take refuge in the son, this kind of kingly figure who seems to be sent by God. And so I think that historically then it's been, it's been linked together because you seem to have kind of almost a question and answer type setup, a little bit of attention and resolution hmm. type setup or, I know we talk about this to Davis a lot, but kind of a, a dark light, you know, kind of a, this isn't as good a news uh, in Psalm one. And then in Psalm two, there seems to be this resolution of those who are kissing the sun um, will not perish and will be blessed and, and then we'll take refuge in him. So, yeah, that's so good. I think that that two covenant presentation of even the Psalms, you have a forerunner that looks more like what we might even call in New Testament terms, John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus to come. That would be more of a Psalm one approach of what God is even intending with this Psalm. Um, and then a Psalm two looking like Jesus where Psalm one actually sounds like John the Baptist saying, I must decrease and Psalm two must increase an understanding of, wow, Jesus, the, the King that God has chosen has been established on this mountain and therefore all the chaos and the calamity going on uh, in the world, God is not phased by that. Why? Because he has established this king um, by whom the world will now obey. And that, that the language there of obedience even in Psalm 2 is, is pretty fascinating because it says this king is going to kind of rule with this rod of iron right. um, and, and break. Yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that just offhand. Um, yeah, I think, well, the idea of the rod of iron comes up in Revelation, which is interesting. So we do see him come. Uh, that's sort of the white horse Jesus that we think about, you know, at, at the very end. So the yet to come portion of that book. Uh, so a, kind of a clear fulfillment there. But but you also see this this idea that I think in the Bible of what is our true enemy and in what sense are battles being fought. And um, so there's kind of that idea of, well, without Christ, I mean, I am on the wrong side of that rod of iron. You know, I'm kind of a back into a Psalm 1 state, you know, but those who take refuge in him, um, have this kind of Jesus is the son is fighting my battles, mm. you know, kind of idea Then it becomes, it switches right to good news where, well, now my sins are, are in the crosshairs of his saving agenda, you know, um, his, uh, wartime agenda, you know, rather than, rather than me. So, um, the idea of wrath too is a big thing, right. In the yeah. Bible. And, but so wrath is not disappear in Psalm two, which is to say, it does not disappear in the New Testament, but it's displaced. Mm. 
Mm. Where wrath now is, if as Christians, wrath is displaced onto Jesus versus it remaining on us. And so I think that's why you see in Psalm 2 the mix of that mm. going on. We just have, we're just on the right side of it all yeah. for those who believe. Yeah, that's really good. And I also think the, uh, the that rod of iron imagery and someone who, who's established on God's holy mountain who's going to, it sounds very militant at first, like while you're reading it. And, and that thread gets pulled a lot through the Old Testament. Isaiah uses very similar language. Um, and then when I think Romans one in the opening of that, there is actually an obedience of the nations through this new king and the tie in of this rod or, or sword in Hebrews language that, that God is using is surprising because it doesn't actually appear to be from a new Testament sense as, um, I'm over you as much as I am, uh, the word itself speaking to you. And that, of course, like Hebrews that. Would, would say that the word itself is God's, uh, the sword itself is God's word, God's spoken word. And his ultimate word is Jesus Christ given for you. And this is what causes the obedience of the nations. It's a glad submission to what God is doing because this God has spoken a word of forgiveness. This God has said, you did not keep the law that Psalm 1 said you were going to keep. I just think of the times in my life too, where Psalm 1 was presented to me as like, hey, this is meant to be good news. And in one sense, I, I appreciate where they're coming from on that. But in another sense, it's it's not exactly how the Bible is trying to present itself to us. Psalm 1 is something that, yeah, on your best days, you feel like, I am with the righteous and not the wicked. But the big surprise of the Old Testament is that nobody can actually say that. Right. And so Psalm That's 1 good. is meant to, to, to break us and or to open our eyes um, in the gift that the law is of clarifying or, or revealing the depth of who we are as human beings and not hollowing that out or making us shallow and just, oh, sin's actually not that big of a deal. Yeah, I think it was Zach S. Wine who said, um, the problem with morality is that it can't take care of your past, mm. only theoretically your present and future, you know? So like bringing that idea then, and I, and I would add on to that, not just morality, but moral readings mm -hmm. of passages that more, fit more in the law category, that more condemning category. Uh, the problem with that is like, if you approach it that way, it, it, it can't take care of what you've already done, mm -hmm. you know? So what about the times where I have stood in the way of sinners, the bazillion times in my life, you know, and still want to yeah. in my heart today or will in the future? Like, but even just that aside, like what about the past? Mm -hmm. What I think is a really helpful thing. It's just, we, we tend to think too highly of ourselves sometimes when coming at Psalm 1 or passages well, like this. Well, you do. I, I yeah, don't, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I'll get that right next time. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. But. Yeah. And I think the last thing to say here is just, uh, whenever I teach on these, I always just ask, Hey, where do you see Psalm 1 in the New Testament, um, to which some people get very afraid because it is, in fact, an argument from silence. And I know a lot of people don't like those. Um, but when presented next to Psalm 2, it's actually a pretty potent argument because Psalm 2 is littered throughout the New Testament. Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere it's, there's language. When Christ himself is being baptized, the Psalm 2 is literally read by God. And uh, Psalm 1 is not found anywhere. And so there's some big ideas to be drawn out from that. Uh, but we're going to turn the page now to 1 Thessalonians. And this week, I want to just look at the first 10 verses. Uh, this was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. That's just a fun word to say. And if you turn to Acts 17, that's also a place where you can learn a little bit more about the background of, of Paul's interaction with this church. 
Um, my favorite verse in that is, is verse three in chapter 17 of Acts, where it just says that Paul's going to the places where people are thinking about big philosophical and religious ideas. And he just patiently, probably over years, is explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is just the, the center of his target as he's going to these different places, starting new churches. And what's, what's he ultimately sharing? What's he proclaiming? It's that verse three, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And then later in that chapter, we learn that uh, these men who are, who are talking this way in line with Paul have caused trouble all over the world because the gospel does that. The gospel That's uh, so great. causes trouble all over the world because it offends us. It says it's not just your bad deeds that actually are, are what God is interested in uh, revealing. It's your good deeds because they come from a place of trying to justify yourself and avoid the blood, avoid the penalty that has ultimately been paid or needs being paid if you're not one with Christ. So, so good. First Thessalonians one through uh, one one through ten. Uh, where, where are you going to take us, Chris? Yeah, well, since you brought that up, I'm going I'm to just take a little bunny trail here, if that's okay. Please, because uh, you talked about grace uh, in some pretty helpful terms, I think. But I'm preaching John 13, the foot washing passage hmm. uh, this Sunday at Hiawatha, which I'm excited about. But um, but that idea of are like, you preaching barefoot? Is that definitely not? not <laughs> no, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> but uh, I but no, I'm. Um, yeah, just kind of freshly intrigued in that passage by how grace does console, but bother, you know, it's, it's a passage where it's, there's like confrontation happening. You know, there's, there's a guy there who's, who's, uh, possessed by the devil, Judas, you got Peter who's saying never, you'll never wash my feet. And he's kind of upset about it. All the other disciples are kind of disillusioned. It's not like this, uh, quiet, holy moment we sometimes think about when you think about the last supper and the foot washing. But, um, but I think that it does bother us because we think we can do it, you know, and Peter has that sort of, I got this Jesus, like mm. you, I, you, you should never wash my feet. I can do this, you know, and I've read Psalm one. I've read Psalm one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've, yeah. This. My certainly just this morning yeah. I read that. Uh, but so yeah. I think that that, that, that's a really helpful idea that the, that the grace of God is offensive and, um, uh, you see that permeated throughout the Bible, but but in terms of, yeah, First Thessalonians, it's always a tongue twister for me, by the way. Tough book for me to pronounce. But uh, I think, uh, and Paul does this a lot in his letters, but I, I just love how he always thanks God for the church. Hmm. And if you slow down and think about that, uh, he, it, it must mean, by definition, that it's God who is the, the one behind the church's salvation, that the church exists and that they're saved at all because God did something. Otherwise, you wouldn't thank him. You would thank the people. You would thank them for being amazing at, at, at something, right? So I think the idea that we, in verse three, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering you before God, that, that's, that is just such a rich idea, you know, that mm-hmm. Paul is, um, he actually is thanking God, obviously, and, he, and, and it just, oozing out onto this, onto page one of this letter, but That's really good. it's, and, and he's not saying, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful you guys have kept Psalm oneing. <laughs> right? He's not, he's not praising them for that. That's a, that's an amazing observation. It's yes. something that's really easy to breeze over. Yes, it is. It really is. So, so thanks be to God. And it's why we thank God. I think for why well, we thank anybody for anything. It's just by, by default, we haven't done it. Otherwise we'd thank ourselves or just be in a thankless kind of neutral spot mm-hmm. because we've accomplished it ourselves or what 
woke up early and did such and such. But the fact that Paul is saying, I thank God that you exist as Christians today, that you're alive, that you've been woken up from, you know, from your own tombs of sin and death. Like that's, that's something to really be thankful for. So a lot of grace in that. Mm. Yeah, that's really, really good. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the language that you see of something preceding something else. Uh, specifically this idea of like faith preceding what they are are doing. It seems to be a passage that comes up or an idea that comes up a lot in this passage. Yeah. I think, well, I think you see, uh, he lists out what he's thankful for. And one is this idea of work of faith. Um, but if you look at the whole sentence, it's a work of faith, labor of love and steadfastness of hope, which I love faith, hope, and love basically is what he's thankful for, which are very faith filled, you know, gospel oriented characteristics, character traits. Like, so the idea of work of faith, I think is laden with this idea of we, we labor hard at belief. You know, I think of the centurion in Mark eight, who said, I, I believe, but it helped my unbelief. Mm-hmm. He's like a, a guy who was laboring in one sense, right. And was kind of almost sweating out, uh, in, in the work of it's hard, you know, to believe sometimes, but, but, uh, he's consoled by Jesus and, and Jesus accepts that prayer. I think that they're, um, in one sense, being commended for the work of faith, but also God is being thanked because the work of faith comes from him. It's a gift. The ability to labor in faith and to have belief at all and to love others is a gift, not not a, um, a, a moral. So, Yeah, really good. Anything else you'd want to highlight from First Thessalonians 1? You know, there's a lot, of course, but I think just at, at the very end, the idea of waiting, um, I'm always struck in the Bible how we are called to wait for God and God is never called to, or never, it, it never says that God waits for us mm-hmm. in any way. He never waits for us to get our whatever together. Uh, he never waits for us to do enough stuff, never waits for us to impress him, you know, but he's, we're called to wait for him, which means puts him in the driver's seat, you know? So love that idea in verse 10. Yeah, that is really good. I also appreciate throughout, throughout this letter, I think we're going to encounter a lot of language of you already know, or you know how, or right. remember, remember, remember. Uh, which is helpful language just in, in trying to understand how does grace actually become operative in our life. That's a question I'm often met with the more I talk about the passivity of receiving what God has done. Right. Uh, remember or you already know or remind or even revive, I think, is another concept that comes to mind that First Thessalonians is just lit. I think it's up to more than eight, maybe more than ten times. The Apostle Paul himself is just like, you already know, but let me tell you again. Let me tell you again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you. He says elsewhere, you know, like it's not a problem for me and it's a, and it's a safeguard for you. I think to the Philippians, you know, he says that, that idea and also the Corinthians. So all these churches get the same thing. Like you guys know the thing that saved you, you need like a steady IV drip Mm -hmm. into your arm every day that keeps clicking, keeps dripping every single day. And the second we think we don't need that there's a lot of danger that, that arises. And Paul knows that as a good shepherd and like a father figure, he knows that. So he knows what they need to keep coming back to. Yes, that's so good. And I know that's where our, our friends over at Mockingbird even got their name. What they're trying to communicate is, hey, we're just repeating the song that we've heard, right? It's the same old song over and over again. And it's the song that saves. Yeah. And so, it's yeah, great. good good place to to turn the page there to our uh, my favorite section. But what about? So again, the more you separate law and gospel, Luther's famous act there, um, something that he was 
honestly just recovering the closer he got to scripture because the old and new testament even this is not a human idea god's idea was was to use language of old and new something that comes first to be replaced by something bigger and the more you separate those out i find there is a lot of language or 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 questions that come up but what about this passage that seems to be so clear uh, of a return to law uh, of some kind right like grace is just this enabler that allows us to then do good and pursue good things. And uh, the passage I want us to look at today, Chris, is in Philippians 2.13. Do you, do you have it in front of you? You want to read it? I do, sure. Uh, verse 13 says, for, kind of mid-sentence, but for it's God. Actually, you mean 12 too, don't you? Yes, I'll I do. I'll read that as well. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's good. I was testing you on that verse. I yeah, mean, yeah. I was, you, you were, and I failed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let us hear from Kaylin Larson. She wrote an article on the, on the blog uh, called "Too Tired." to work out my salvation. And on this verse in particular, she says this, left to my own devices, passages like Philippians 2, 12 to 13, uh, can work to shape an unhealthy narrative in my mind. It makes me feel like uh, it's on me to please God. And if I take a wrong turn, my relationship with him is on thin ice. For me to be holy, I need to spend at least 30 minutes a day in scripture and a journal afterward. Or in order to work out my salvation, as the passage says, I need to serve in three areas of my church and make sure to always be there when a friend is in need, no matter the cost. But here's the thing. While none of these things are bad pursuits, they put me at the center of my spirituality and not Jesus. Earlier portions of Philippians 2 itself frame the context of what it means to, quote, work out our salvation. It reads, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Working out our salvation, this is Kalen's words again, involves accepting a gift we did not earn. Hmm. That's so good. It's great. I so appreciate it. Well she, uh, she's writing this in, in light of um, just feeling the sense of burden with regards to a second kid coming along. Well, the, the second kid has been born now, but when she wrote this, um, and what was so fun is when this came out, um, another prominent speaker who, who I really appreciate had actually published on the same topic. Um, and Red Tree is, is taking them on head, head, head on, <laughs> uh, one-on-one. And, and this individual had done a really good job of highlighting the same problem of just, man, as, as life becomes more busy, I just find it harder and harder to actually have a devotional life like I used to. And what then is the solution, especially with regards to being a mother or a, or a father? And um, both of them highlighted, I think, the same problem, Kaylin and this very prominent uh, figure and speaker, and yet, uh, where they go next, I think, is everything. Where Kaylin, I think, took a turn to a difficult passage and says, this feels like it's, it's just a really heavy burden to me. But maybe, maybe the gospel has something to say to burdens, because that's generally how the gospel works. It looks at burdens and offers a word of comfort. It offers a word of news that maybe we can't earn, but a gift that's received or a gift that's given to people who feel wearied. Um, and ultimately, I feel like Kaylin is, is bringing us as the reader he, he, he's just, she's just walking Jesus over to us and saying, do you know that, that, that Jesus is the one who works out salvation in your life? And maybe this verse looks more like believing that same old song in, in more areas of your life than you have. Whereas, um, that other, the other article that came out or podcast or wherever we heard it, 
um, was like, uh, maybe you should just throw a podcast in while you give your kid a bath or something like this. Like there was this, there was this out, like a need to bring up and, but make sure you do yeah. the good thing yeah, in sure. light of this. And, and not again, not that those things are bad pursuits, but I just feel the sense of like, oh man, another thing I got to do. Right. Rather than the way that good news often meets us who are weary travelers in a strange land. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Working out. I mean, work, the idea of working out, even like when we say that we think of the gym, right? Work out. You think, oh, I'm going to go to wherever, some gym this morning before work. Right. And that's a very, you know, common thing we talk about then these days. And so we've got to pull back a little bit, look at context, the broader context being the gospel, not just the paragraph, you know, or not just like the sentence, but this idea that working out salvation is working out the, the passivity of the fact that God saved us. You're, you're, you're trying to, if we're, if we're lifting anything, you know, it's lifting the fact that God has lifted us already. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of rest in that. So salvation, I think should qualify the idea of working out rather than working out, qualifying the idea of salvation. That's a great that, way. That's to, a really important. Yeah. I think that's a great way to even end the sun moon. There is the, the working out is, is a moon idea or reality that comes from the lifting up, the fact that God was lifted up in our place. So that's a great place to end. Uh, Chris, we will see you next time on the Red Tree Pod. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us. You can find us online at www.redtreegrace.com. Audio production for the podcast is provided to us by Brendan Wickstrom and website support via Nolan Bauer. And if you like what you heard, please do drop us a rating or a review on iTunes. Or don't. Either way, we will see you next time on The Red Tree Podcast.